Hi, welcome back to Corner of Hope and Wellness with Carrie Hill. Hoping all is good in your world. This week's guest is Barb Jordan, and she and I met when we were both keynote speakers at a youth empowerment conference in Los Angeles. And Barb created Always Bev after losing her sister to gun violence. And the mission is to educate and empower individuals with safety skills to prevent violence on innocent people. So she teaches the importance of awareness, how to identify warning signs for potentially violent behavior, and the significance in trusting our intuition. So let's listen in. Hi, Barbara. I am so, I am thrilled to have you on here today. Thank you so much for being a guest. Um, it's nice to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you. We were able to visit a couple weeks ago, but thank you so much for having me, Carrie. You bet. Yes, we're doing we're doing a podcast uh, swap, which which I love. So this has been exciting to have Barb here, and um, I'm going to actually just I want us just to get rolling on your story. Your story is very compelling. It's heartbreaking, and yet it's compelling. And the thing that I love the most is that, you know, there are ways in which we can either fall on the ground after a traumatic experience, or we can pick ourselves up and do something that can be helpful to others, right? And engage um, other people. And so that's the like the heart of this story for me. So I wanted you to just be willing to share your story and what you, you do, um, always Bev, um, and just talk a little bit about that journey um, that you experienced several years ago well, with your sister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the strength I have now is nothing <laughs> like the strength I had before, you know, a long process. Um, but back when I was in college, this is back in 1988, I was in my last year of college and it was four days after Thanksgiving. And it was the Tuesday night and I was at Cal State Northridge. I was down on the gym floor. I was cheering my sorority on. It must have been about 730-ish at night. I was running up and down the court. My hands were in the air. How, you know, college, just, just having the time of your life. And right. my college roommate, he, I came out of nowhere. She put her hands on my shoulders. She spun me around and she said, you have to go home right away. Something's happened to one of your sisters. And I turned around and I looked at her and I said, these, these words, one of my sisters is dead. I know it. And that is intuition. And that's a lot mm -hmm. of what uh, always Bev is about is that we do know violence before it happens. And we do mm -hmm. know warning signs simply by how we feel. We can't always define it. And so it was about a 30 minute drive home to my parents' house that night. And the whole time I was in the car, I was like, is it Bev? Is it Karen? They're identical twins. They're, you know, seven years older than me. I'm like, is it Bev? Were they jogging? You know, what was it? Were they in a car accident? And when I got to my parents' house, there was just one light on in the back of the house. And just for a short moment, I thought maybe everything's okay. But when mm -hmm. I got to the front door and the door opened, my mom and dad were standing there and my dad looked at me and he said, your sister Beverly was murdered today. And my mom was sobbing by his side mm -hmm. and she looked at me and she said, he killed her. He killed your beautiful sister. And so who was this guy? Well, this guy was rich. 
This guy was her fiance who just sat like 15 feet from where I was when I got the news with my family on Thanksgiving Day. So that is when my trauma began and right. it lasted and it continues to last a long time, but it was peaked for, for many, many years. Um, but that's the gist of, you know, my story and where the trauma began. Yeah. I, and, and thank you for sharing that. I think, I, I think number one, what you're saying, the part about the intuition must be part of what you developed during the process of healing. And again, like you said, it's an ongoing process that loss, that kind of trauma, you can get back into your life, right? You can get back into your life. I will say that with, with quotations and things are never the same, but what you did do that I love is you found a way to do something to, to, to move yourself forward. So just initially, what was the impact before being able to move your, yourself forward? So what were kind of the obstacles, um, post well, I learning was, and, yeah. and learning and losing your sister? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, when, when this happened again, I was in my fifth year of college. I had just finished playing collegiate softball. I was a three-time all American, a three-time national champion. So I was on top of the world and I pretty much felt invincible. Like, you know, it was a small school, you knew everybody. I mean, right. I felt so confident. I felt so whole Like I just, you know, the world was mine. This is my oyster. And so yeah. when this happened, it knocked me so far off my feet. You know, I, of course we never saw it coming. Um, but it was extremely difficult. And one of the things you touched on Carrie was, you know, currently now intuition. Well, see when, when we found out the news about my sister being killed, there's six of us left in our immediate family. Not one of us said these words. I can't believe that Rich killed Bev. So what does that mean? It means like yeah. he never beat her. You know, he never did this. He never did that. But intuitively, all of us saw warning signs. And that is why I am a believer in intuition. And when she was killed, all these things, it's like the movie, The Sixth Sense, all these things came flooding by us like, yeah, why didn't he show up with her on Thanksgiving Day? What do you mean he was working on Thanksgiving Day? Uh, he came and took photos of, of you at your alumni softball game, but there's no photos of you. There's just photos of the girls with the with the blonde hair, you know, like weird things. How many times over their eight month relationship did we say that's weird? That doesn't mm -hmm. add up. That doesn't make sense. Huh? That doesn't sound like Bev. How many times did all of us say those things? Of course, I'll never know because we can't talk about it. But right. many, many times and over the years, I've just have studied and researched so much on the warning signs that come before violence. There always is signs. There always are signs if we stay aware of our environment and who we let into our inner circles. So I'm listening to this and I'm I think it's so significant because what you're talking about is what we do a lot of the times after a loss, after trauma, which is those hind the hindsight, right? We he we hear it after a, a suicide is oh yeah, right? Everything comes those little signs that we can brush off 
until maybe something happens. And so with all of your hindsights, you started to develop um, always Bev. I'm, and I'm, I'm just wondering what was the process of doing that? Because that had to be incredibly healing from, from, from that loss and from that trauma. Right. So from point A to, you know, where I am now, yeah. it, it was, it was a battle. I mean, I continued to compete in softball and, but I just, I wasn't happy. You know, I, I didn't know what trauma was. I never, probably not yeah. until a year ago did I really say, Oh, you, it was actually a traumatic event. It wasn't just that Bev was murdered. Like you live with trauma. Like I actually, I'm like, Oh, like that's why it's been so difficult. But in 2018, my sister's killer, Rich Lewis was released from prison because, you know, he took anger management classes and he became a Eucharistic minister and he did all these things where the governor of California said he's not going to do anybody any harm. And so he was released and it was uh, very, very hard on me. Um, it was hard on my family, but I took it so personal. And I thought there's so many people like Rich just walking around in this world and people don't know the warning signs. And I have to educate people on the warning signs because they're very tricky. You know, they're very good at what they do. So like Rich lives in Southern California and at one time he was in the Marines. And so if I see a picture of him on social media, he's wearing a Marines ball cap or he's wearing a Marines T-shirt. And some people might say, well, of course, he used to be in the Marines. But what they don't know is when they're standing next to him in Starbucks and they say, thanks for your service. What was it like? And the next thing you know, they're engaging with somebody who is a murderer and they have zero ideas. So they're very good at what they do. They're very mm -hmm. good at getting people to put their, their guard down and their walls down. And if we do pay attention, you know, we can see and identify when things don't add up. Mm -hmm. We awesome. totally can. Yeah. 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 And so that's become, that's become, your, your service in a sense is really focusing on helping people see those signs. So talk a little bit about always Bev. Um, what do you do to really help? And, and I, I'm going to say women in, in particular, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, I'm sure you have a population of men who are interested in the work, but what are you teaching women? What are you sharing with women to help them notice the signs or, um, yeah, it, feel, it, it, also another piece is feeling confident, right? Yeah. Um, people forget a lot of the times that women, there is, there's just a layer as a woman in this world of feeling unsafe, um, that we kind of have to find ways to pick ourselves up and, and feel safe, even if we're not feeling safe, right. Is put that protection on. And so what are some of the things that you've been doing with always Bev your foundation? Well, just to touch on one of the things you just talked about, you know, we have to muster up strength. See, mm -hmm. one of the reasons why women are targeted is because women are so nice and they don't want to be rude and they don't want to be called the B word and all these things. And I say, when your first thought is no, honor your no. And when you say no, 
mean it like when your mom would tell you no. Like no is no. <laughs> like there's zero wiggle room where some people are like, and I go up to them. I approach them in the class and I go, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I wanted to show you this. And, and I'm getting closer and they they cower down and they start to curl in and they're like, oh, no, uh, no, no. You know, they, and they don't give me a hard no. And then, mm-hmm. and then I show how them how close I am to them now. I keep walking up to them. And I go, see how close I am to you now? So see, now I control your environment. And now we're still going to have a conversation because I'm in your inner circle now and you can't get me out. And so now maybe you are going to have that drink. Maybe now you are going to share your social media with me simply because you didn't say no the first time. How are you going to say no again? So those are some of the things that that we talk about. But Always Bev is I do different courses. Sometimes I do small organizations. I do keynote speaking engagements. I do a lot of universities, uh, sororities, sports teams, whatever it is. And I travel around the country and people bring me in to show them. Basically, we call it personal safety awareness and violent, you know, vi- violence prevention, whether that's sexual assault, whatever it is. Yeah. But this is how you prevent these types of activities. And, you know, I do start off and I, and I share Bev's story, but I also share a lot of images and videos of other victims and the women identify with it. You know, men identify Mm -hmm. with it. If they're in the course, if I know it's going to be for both, because we're them, we're just normal looking people. And the things that happen are so shocking. You know, what happened to Bev, she's not the only woman that something this traumatic happened to. And, you know, I think the hardest thing that people have to understand is a lot of times they're acquaintances. A lot of times these people are, it's not just the guy in the hoodie. Oh, there was a guy in the parking lot. It's not just that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's people that we know, just like what happened in Bev's situation. And when Mm -hmm. things don't add up, when everybody's like, I don't, I don't know what it is. I just can't put my finger on it. That's intuition. And I am, talk about intuition a lot, Carrie. And the main thing about intuition is this intuition serves one purpose in our lives. And that is to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. So when it speaks to you, it's so important to not dismiss it. It's so important not to say, no, it's all right. Or it's not a big deal. When it speaks to you, it's there to keep you safe and you should honor it every single time. Mm, I love that. How would you, and I'm I'm just going to ask, How would you, if somebody is, you know, because my focus so much is on mental health and there's a vulnerability to having a mental health challenge, how do you get people working who have that sense of vulnerability to really start to accept that they are intuitive people and they can say no, or they can, you know, they can have those quote unquote spidey senses, right. That where, you know, we can feel something, um, is not quite right. How, how do you start that process of getting people to trust themselves? Yeah. Uh, I talk a lot about it. You know, when I get to the part about intuition, I say, has anyone ever had anything intuitively happen to them? where you changed your mind, where you were like, no, that's not a good idea. You know, whatever it is. And, you know, everybody doesn't raise their hand. Not everybody wants to, to, to say it, but somebody will raise their hand. It could be something so slight, you know, like Mm -hmm. this one guy wanted to give me a ride and I knew him. He was my, you know, he was my brother's friend, but I just had a bad feeling. And, and I, and I, I just thought, no, or this other woman was like, 
she was on a date and she goes, I'm riding with this person, this guy in a car. But I, you know, it was our first date and I was had just gone out with somebody the week before. And she mm-hmm. said, and I thought to myself, if he knew I dated somebody last week, he would be mad at me. He would be, mm-hmm. he would get so mad at me. I could feel it. And so she never went out with him again. Two weeks later, that guy was in the news for killing a cheerleader in Los Angeles, a, mm-hmm. a professional football team's cheerleader. So that's intuition. He didn't do anything to her. He wasn't violent to her, but she just felt that something was off. And so I try to have them not just learn from me, but to learn from the other women that are in the courses. And it's the same thing with saying no. Like there's some women in that class, they have zero problem. When I walk up to them, they're like, no, (laughs) you know, and I'm scared. I'm like, oh God, you know, (laughs) they're scaring me. So they learn from the other women in the class, you know, the ones that do have that confidence, the ones that do understand the dangers that are out there. You know, we can all learn from each other as women for sure. Well, and I, I, here's, here's what I keep thinking is in order to teach, I mean, my belief is I always need to be able to walk the talk. So I need to be able to do whatever I am sharing, teaching to somebody else. And clearly you have, you have learned that yourself and I'm going, okay, so you know, there's a drive that comes from being an athlete. You and I have talked about that a little bit before. Um, and I'm wondering if having, having that background was part of what made it easier for you to have the drive to be a little bit stronger, a little bit less worried about conflict resolution, right? Because that's a lot of the reasons why people don't say no, because, oh, I don't want to I don't want to create any kind of stir or anything, right? So for you, what what was it that got you to be able to teach people this? What was your own experience? Um, because I go like, I, I just, I keep thinking the pain that you must have experienced from losing your sister to the place that you are now being able to teach people this, right? Comes from a drive, probably some anger, right? Um, how? For you, how did you develop that, that part of yourself? I think I just, it's, I think part of it is how I grew up. I grew up in Southern California. I grew up on a street with 17 boys. So I watched (laughs) men or boys all the time, you know, and I could see like when they were being charming or their false promises, you know, the manipulation, like, you, you know, the more you, 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 you're around it, the more you understand it. Like I get along with guys so well. Cause I don't take their crap. Like I call them on it. Like the second I see it, I'm like, no, no, you're so wrong. You know, like, so I think that that's part of it. Yes. Of course, being athletic, but you know, there's times like, you know, rich fooled me and that, that didn't sit well with me, especially being competitive. But when I was just a young girl on this lovely street that I grew up on in Southern California, a guy I played with all the time, I must've been 10 or 12 And, you know, I played with the boys all the time out on the street. I went up into this guy's room and we were just playing. And the next thing I know, he's trying to pull my pants down. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and I'm fighting him and I'm fighting his hands and I'm fighting his hands. And he's and finally he pulls my pants down. And I remember he stood up over me and he goes, all the guys on the street bet me if I could pull your pants down or not. And he goes, and your brothers knew about it. And that, oh, obviously I haven't forgot about that. And I was, you know, yeah, I was, I was like, what? 
like thinking to myself, like these guys are all my friends. Like I play with them every day, you know, back when you could play out in the streets after school. And I just, I was so just like upset. And I, you know, pulled my pants up. I went downstairs. I went into this kitchen and I looked at his mom and I said, Mrs. Eichemeyer, John just pulled my pants down and I just thought you'd like to know about it. And I walked out of that house, you know? So, I mean, that's who I am. I'm like, oh, this is not right. And I'm, I mean, we were taught to speak up, you know, when something's not that. right, you, you, you say something. So I know that this stuff happens all the time. Right. I see so many people don't speak about it. And if we don't speak about it, how are we going to learn from it? And I know it's not easy. I, I realize it's not easy to talk about trauma and people are, a lot of people are scared because, you know, the rapist is still out there. Well, what Mm -hmm. I want to say to everybody is, well, my sister's killer is walking around out there and I'm speaking about it. And if you don't think that sometimes I'm like, Oh, I wonder if he's listening to this. I mean, I'm just to a point, like, are we going to help each other or are we going to sit and be quiet and let this sort of, this sort of violence repeat itself. And so oftentimes, It happens to women and it's maddening to me because, you know, we aren't, we aren't as strong, you know, and, and we, oh, if we stand up for ourselves, you know, they want to bring us down by calling us names or insulting us, you know, whatever it is. And I just want women to be empowered. I want them to have that confidence. I, I, I think that it's really important that we do use our voices because that's a piece of how we get better, right? That's always a piece of how we get better is starting to use our voice. I mean, that's such a big part of my journey is letting go of the need to make sure everybody else is okay so that I can be okay. Right. Um, so I, I appreciate that so much. So I'm, I'm wanting to, I want to ask you, um, A last question, which, you know, I, this is my typical last question. It's funny though, because listening to your story, you've always had this in you. You don't have something where you go, oh, hindsight, what I would tell my younger, my younger self, because I always ask the question, what would you share with your younger self about your experience? Um, But I think you probably could share a few things about your, that, that you would tell yourself regarding your journey. So what would that, what would that look like? It would be to talk about it. It would be Mm -hmm. to, you know, I compared myself to my family members about how much I talked about Bev and what Mm -hmm. happened. And the truth of the matter is, is just because I talked about it the most, it was minute. Nobody talked about Bev. Probably we said her name on, on Christmas. And that was about seriously, like that's about the extent of it throughout like an entire year. And so if I could tell my younger self, it would be, you know, find a therapist, you know, get, find somebody. And I went, but just not the right ones for, for several times. But when I finally did find somebody and they took me through EMDR, it was so healing and it was so much work. It was incredibly painful, but I couldn't even say Bev's name without crying (laughs) like 20 years after the incident. And now here I am, you know, telling her story to people who I don't know. Um, you know, people, I don't know, people say it's great, but I just, I just think it's, it's important. It's important that we honor the victims that have gone before us. And so uh, I would say to my younger self, you know, speak about it, talk about it, even though it's hard, 
because I wouldn't have been, you know, so angry and bottled up for so, so many years and misread by a lot of people because on the inside, I was just so incredibly heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So things end up being kind of sideways. We start expressing ourselves in a sideways place. Um, that is that I, I think you, you nailed it, right? (laughs) You nailed it. (laughs) I wish, I wish we sometimes could go back and have that wisdom that we have now at a younger age, but that's part of the journey, right? (laughs) That's, that is is our journey. journey. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Barb, so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story, but also your drive and your passion. Um, That's one of my favorite parts about doing this is hearing what people are doing um, and how they turn that into their passion. So I, I really appreciate your time. Um, any last words of wisdom? Anything you would like to share? No, just always trust your first thought. Your first thought is the right thought. And doesn't matter if somebody says somebody's funny or they have a good job. Like if you've got a bad feeling, go with your gut because it can save your life for sure. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Where, Barb, if people want to connect with you, I know your website is always bev.com. Where else? Is there any other places that you would want them to connect with you? Uh, I have a podcast as well where you were graciously a guest. Um, It's called Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. Uh, Season one is the entire story of my sister. I go back all these years later and interview her friends and It's ironic, you know, they all had the warning signs. We just didn't know it back then. Uh, And then it's just a safety podcast, whatever it is about online dating, sex trafficking, warning signs. It varies, but it's all about, you know, different ways that we can stay safe. Nice. Nice. All right. Awesome. I'm going to say thank you so much for your time, Barb. Thank you for your words of wisdom. I appreciate you. Oh, Carrie, thank you. I've enjoyed it. And and, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. 